Hi everybody and welcome to the next episode of the Biodiversity Podcast by Teasels and today we are in the salubrious surroundings of Camley Street uh, Nature Park uh, just on the outskirts of the King's Cross Estate and today I'm joined by uh, Rosie Wichelow and Alistair Law. Hi guys. Hi. How are you? Are you okay? Yeah, good. Yeah, good, thanks. Great stuff. Uh, guys, so before we get into uh, the meat and the drink of the podcast, do you just want to introduce yourselves, where you're from, where you work, and yeah, just to give a bit of context to, um, to the people that don't know you? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, so um, I work for London Borough of Sutton um, as their biodiversity net gain officer. Um, so, um, yeah, my work is very much uh, revolves around planning and giving planning advice, but I also support the team there, which is um, incredibly sort of four strong ecologists who um, manage, uh, provide outreach education for, for, you know, children and young people, um, and also, um, you know, advise and help internal um, collaboration between sort of different aspects of the council through to, to delivering biodiversity in all the kind of elements of what biodiversity is. So, Excellent. And but that's so now we'll come back to that because okay. that, that's, that's a snapshot of your, yeah. uh, of your career. But uh, um, and Alistair? Um, I'm the founder of Vertical Meadows. So um, the context is Rosie and I have, have kind of worked together both in um, in her capacity at the London Wildlife Trust previously um, and the Wildlife Trust. Um, but yeah, we've come up with a way of, of trying to, uh, of bringing um, native um, UK wildflowers into the vertical. Um, my, my background is I'm a facade engineer from Arup and um, that's kind of um, the kind of need of um, avoiding these sterile boxes and, and, and finding new opportunities for bringing nature back into our cities yeah. really has, has driven this kind of development of, of vertical meadow um, and it really is just about bringing biodiversity otherwise um, there's not much point in us continuing. It's, greenery for the sake of it is, is, is not what we're aiming for. Yeah. So the journey you've been on, so you, in your previous life, you were sort of, you were, you were designing these sort of square boxes, lots of metal, lots of composite materials, and you, you just sort of... Yeah, so I mean, my, my background has always been about sustainability. So sustainability has driven it, but the kind of the market demand was about sort of glazed boxes. Um, although, I mean, a good example here is Google Headquarters, which has been my project, where we've put timber in the facade. And so... There, is, there has been opportunities and there's great opportunities, but that still isn't actually bringing biodiversity back into it. So it's great that we start thinking natural, we think lower carbon, but biodiversity is still quite new to the built environment. And that's where we at Vertical Meadows see is, is really trying to address that. Um, okay. So, um, okay, so that feel, it feels natural to move on. So, you know, we're in, you know, the outskirts of, well, we're in London um we're in this lovely uh you know nature park but do you want to give a bit of context sort of bigger picture stuff first about where you see sort of urban ecology you know how how you know how nature rich do you see do you observe uh that, that london is or or perhaps cities across england in general but perhaps 
Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, cities are incredibly biodiverse. I think, I mean, I can only say my own experiences from London. Yes. Um, and, and I think London, the way that it, um, it has developed over the years, you know, it used to be lots and lots of different villages, didn't it? And then it just coalesced over time. And I think because of its age, that's kind of partly why it's so ecologically rich, because um, we know through the years, it, you know, actually, surprisingly, perhaps for a lot of people to understand, is a lot of that nature is still there. It's just kind of pockets of habitat. Um, and there are these, um, you know, nature reserves all across the city, you know, um, that are, you know, really ecologically rich. Um, it's just that often many people don't know that they're there. And, you know, that's, that's a problem that we need to sort of, you know, get that information across to people. So were you kind of alluding that there's pockets, but what we're perhaps we're lacking now is the connectivity between pockets, or is that what you were yeah, alluding to? to? To some extent, absolutely. So, I mean, we have a network called Sites of Importance for Nature Conservation, another acronym, which we is love SYNC, an acronym, which, which is SYNCS, okay? And I think, ironically, SYNCS is, in a sense, quite an interesting um, acronym because it kind of recognises where they all are. They are potentially all population SYNCS in the kind of ecological uh, if I use an ecological term, in that actually they're so fragmented that if we're not careful, the species that occur in them will be like, you know, they will start to decline because they're not connected and they're not big enough to support the species that are there. Yeah. So, you know, that's a real fundamental issue, not just London, but across England uh, and the UK as a whole. You know, these, all these nature reserves are fragmented and disconnected and surrounded by urban development. Or, or intensive arable, you know, agriculture. So we have to connect them, we have to make them bigger and we have to make them more joined up. So that's a really massive importance. Um, but also, yeah, I mean, um, you know, Canby Street is a really lovely example of, you know, a beautiful nature-rich site in the heart of London, um, you know, right next to a canal, which is also recognised as an important nature reserve. But, uh, you know, lots of people I speak to don't even know it's here. They know King's Cross, but they don't know this place. So no it's, King's uh, Cross, Costa, and then yeah. 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 There's yeah. A, there's a definite communications problem with nature conservation, and you know, in London and and wider, that we we absolutely need to address to get people, normal people, knowing what these places are and how important they are. And we were sort of talking about about this earlier over coffee about perhaps breaking down some of the language. Let's try and yeah. not. Um, you too many acronyms, let's not try and, you know, bamboozle people with jargon to try and simplify that information. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's there's lots of different ways you could do it. And I'm no comms expert, but, um, but you know, even, I mean, I spoke to this guy once uh, in Sutton when I was doing some, uh, some kind of conversation or... Um, uh, the other day and, and he said why don't we have this up on billboards along the town centres why are we why do we not know about this you know it's why is it not on TV you know there's a lot of there's a lot of ways that we can communicate I mean we all know we have our TV license don't we you know we get bombarded with letters and like TV license on why aren't we doing the same with stuff that's actually you know fundamentally important to yeah. our well-being but also the well-being of the planet really yeah yeah, yeah. so yeah so so you talked about you've been talking about sort of the, the connectivity and and um, you know we need to join these places up. So is that where Alistair you see part of well one part of your role of trying to you know bring that urban greening into these into new developments? So you've got those sort of touch points between 
you know, nature reserve A, simplifying it, but nature reserve A and nature reserve B, you know. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, the Crown Estates led some of this work with their ecological master plans. So yeah. they, they kind of Regent Street became a, a series of stepping stones through green roofs and some green walls um, between sort of Green Park and Regent's Park. And I think if we start thinking about these kind of, I guess, distributed network, but connected network, and so great that kind of um, the Crown Estate as a, had quite a, a kind of a, a nice route, kind of um, which they could they could deliver themselves. But actually, what I'm hearing from Ro Rosie is really like how we um, how we turn that into a, a city strategy, and and not just a, a kind of a, a local kind of a, 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 piecemeal a, a piecemeal approach where some people are really on it and on top of it and are doing it, and other people are not. And I guess I look at the streets and I get slightly dismayed by all this kind of, well, the lack of dirt, the, the, the kind of, uh, the lack of, um, kind of, well, the lack of anything, to be honest, apart from people. And, yeah, um, yeah. and I, I kind of wish... This, at this point here, I want to give a shout out to Lewisham Council. I was, at, I was walking through Lewisham yesterday and there was weed everywhere on the pavement. It was absolutely divine because I don't spray. So that was, well, that was, that was lovely to see. Yeah, actually talking about that, I was in France last year and I was like, these guys are using gas burners to, to burn off the weeds. And I was like, this was middle of the energy crisis. Yeah. And I was like, <laughs> is pesticides or burning off weeds? But anyway, I, I asked about it afterwards and I heard it was probably a better way to do it than to use, obviously, uh, herbicides. Or, um, but anyway, um, moving back onto the topic of our cities. And um, I do believe that kind of buildings are just a missed opportunity um, and we're not going to get these lovely parks back we're lucky this is here I hear London's going to get this new um, town square in the city of London um, recently um, but to be honest that's going to be a rare thing so we now need for me to, we need to make our buildings I say sweat harder as in work harder for nature and um, and to be honest I used to write specifications where I used to kind of includes no vermin, no moss. Fiction, I should have just written no life um, yeah. written on the facades. And, and this is what I'd write in my specifications for buildings. And, so and I guess now I'm encouraging my colleagues at Arup um, to kind of start thinking, actually, how do we bring that life back in? And, um, and actually, we don't have a choice. This is not mm. an option. No. Um, and, I, and I guess... It's becoming, I guess, an easier sell because I, I can only talk from uh, my perspective in Cambridge, where I mean, it's not going to change the world, but you know, you see, far, you see loads of uh, swift, swift bricks now, bat boxes. It's kind of maybe a tick box, but you do, you do see them. Yeah, and and to They're be honest, more porous, isn't it? Exactly. I kind of see, I mean, at Vescomal Meadow, we're not going to solve the biodiversity crisis alone. We can, we can hopefully contribute to it. But what I hopefully see is that we're turning often these wildflowers into a picture, a living picture that people can understand, can question, can see life, death, regrowth, insects, all of it. In, and so I almost feel slightly, sometimes it's a piece of art, because people are, and it's kind of questioning questioning what our norms are yeah, should yeah. things be always green should things not be and, and I think I think elevating a, a dandelion on our wall and I've, I've had people saying are you going to weed your wall and I'm like um, sorry to break it to you but I mean most of them are 
weeds. And weeds obviously don't exist. They're just plants in the in theory in the wrong place but they think it's in the right place so maybe we should give them the benefit of the doubt um, but, but i think you're you're continuing you know the, the work that you guys are doing you're continuing that conversation because it's, it's a conversation as, as soon as you said the dandelion I, I think back to a few weeks ago at the chelsea flower show where one garden on the main uh, the main drag strategic strategically placed two dandelions at the front yeah. of the garden and it's sort of we're becoming more uh, au fait with with weeds now, aren't we? Exactly. It's kind of the Trojan horse is the dandelion because we all kind of like that and we can see the benefits it has. But I think, yeah, you, you are continuing that conversation, really. Um, yeah, I mean, um, I volunteer in a, in a local community garden in Newham and we've started to call weeds um, resilient plants, you know, because ah. actually they are pretty resilient. I mean, some of them can be a bit bullish and will um, we'll, um, will sometimes take over and so there's an element of editing yes. you know but uh but yeah they're resilient and they're, they're doing an amazing job it's just that we don't quite want them in our garden because you know we want more edible plants but you know it's all about that kind of balance really mm. so i quite like that mm. um, so moving on to perhaps uh well perhaps not a dry subject but where are we where are we in the sense of um biodiversity net gain and the urban green you took a <laughs> massive inhale of breath there. I hear it's going to be a big answer. No, but again, I guess it would be nice to set a bit of context about, uh, you know, where, appraise of where we're at. And perhaps, you know, Alistair, if you want to come in and think, well, how, how does, how does um, you know, vertical landscapes fit in with that? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a, you have to ask the question, don't you, um, Dan? So, so absolutely, uh, and it, and we are in a in a in an interesting situation uh, and a good situation in the sense that the government have confirmed that biodiversity net gain will become mandatory at the end of this year, so November 2023, which is so fast approaching. Uh, and I would, uh, you know, I'm with my colleagues in local authority who are, you know, mostly um, kind of trying to get their grips with what that means from a kind of planning control point of view, you know, you know, um, yeah, there's lots and lots of detail that we haven't got yet. So we're still waiting on secondary leg legislation to kind of understand how it will all work in practice. So yeah, until we get that, it's very difficult to know exactly what we're going to be having to do. But, um, but, but absolutely, it's, um, it's, a, it's a real chance that all of us to get together and kind of understand how we can deliver biodiversity improvements across all of the planning process and that's very positive um, but yeah the devil is definitely in the detail and it's not straightforward and I it is a massive sigh of like panic because there is a lot to get your head around and there are lots of issues and concerns that we all have um, around delivery around ensuring design delivers net gain um, and that it's and not the, just and a the tick box yeah and, and then I've, speak to, I've spoken to a few people about this once you know schemes are introduced, I mean, how are oh, the yeah. how are these things? I was going to say maintained, but it's not. It's about management, really, isn't it? It's trying to get that balance between these schemes being handed over to people that perhaps don't have the skill set to manage it in perpetuity. And mm. yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, that whole um, monitoring and management um, and delivering the net gain because it's it's a predict it's a it's a propo not proposal. It's a predicament. No. It's not a predicament. What is it? Pain in the uh, prediction. Sorry, <laughs> sorry, it's a prediction. Um, yeah, so it's a prediction of what is going to happen in the future, and yeah. you might only achieve net gain in 30 years once your woodland is mature. 
but you know within a development site you might have a bit of woodland a bit of meadow a bit of wetland and they all take different amounts of time to deliver to to achieve their condition that they've that you know the development was supposed to achieve yeah so that's all technical really technical and requires you know you know you know ecologists that know the habitat and be able to be able to assess it and come back after 5 10 15 20 30 years that's a huge amount of work just right there um and i think yeah it, it's it's it, people are you know nervous about that because none of us you know even you know we've never been very good at monitoring because it costs so much so yeah. um there's no there's no difference there's no change in in knowing how this will be delivered um so um so yeah so that that is a concern but you know there are ways that we're trying to overcome that so at sutton you know we're we're very lucky actually because my um my my line manager david warburton who's a fantastic ecologist he he's been doing this um f since 2018 so they've had a policy and practice in the local plan since 2018 where they're delivering net gain. So we've got lots of case studies where we've delivered net gain or net loss and how that's worked within wow. the, within Sutton. So that's quite it's quite a nice position to sort of have that experience. Um, and also we're working with Giggle, so the local biological record centre, to see how we can use AI and, and, and aerial photography and, and remote mapping to, to, to try and answer some of those difficult questions that we just wouldn't have the capacity or the man hours to be able to do it, you know, you know, as a sort of, you know, yearly yearly event. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. so yeah, some quite cool things happening, uh, and and I, th I know that Surrey are doing something similar, and other local authorities are doing, other, you know, similar things. So we're we're trying to use technology to help answer some questions, which is which is very exciting actually. Yeah, I think actually it's interesting the technology question. I think um, you could argue kind of vertical greening is a form of technology and that's probably part of the yeah. risk I would say that goes with it because fundamentally we, we can all cite living walls that have died and therefore when we're talking about the time scales you're, you're mentioning there Rosie I think they're the most living wall providers that's that's 25 years or 30 years is a long time and yeah. kind of and obviously we're in a nature reserve here where we're kind of lucky but the moment you stick it onto buildings and you rely on on tech to make it happen we the whole the ai question but also i think you used the words earlier about the dandelion the editing mm, yeah. how we do that editing process yeah. um and i think it it's a very interesting question and i think it for kind of as a new kind of um provider on the block it's something when I think of facades, a facade normally lasts 25 or 30 years as a minimum. So for me, it fits quite nicely yeah. with a, a kind of a logic that that's normally the first point where you're allowed to do something to your facade. So those timescales seem, seem, seem reasonable, but I, I guess the current market position is offering stuff that are 10 or 15 years, but it's kind of, a, for me, quite an exciting thing because that's where the long lasting bit I, I often actually go up to the Hampstead Heath when I'm running around and I, I kind of imagine seeing one of the buildings in the distance covered in greenery mm. and you're kind of like how does that work and how do you then do it for 30 years and keep make sure it's regenerative mm. um, and I think that's for me the exciting this regenerative how do we create the the conditions that it just does it itself um, yeah and that's and that's exactly what I was thinking about. You know, we've we've talked in the past about you know self self seeding, and we'll talk about it in the second part. But yeah, how do these things just go on and on? And 
evolve and change, you know, mm. much like a terrestrial meadow where, you know, exactly. it just goes through its own succession and, and you know, and species wave and wane. And yeah, that, that, um, that re regenerative system, yeah, it's, it's, I'm excited by it. Yeah, and, and I think it is editing. I think, I mean, I always think, well, those beautiful wildflower meadows, they're, unfortunately, we've lost so many of the wild horses or the other things that kind of make it regenerative truly regenerative without human kind of intervention we've lost the wildlife to do it for us so i think perhaps in these early days we are going to rely i'd love to to bring some sheep to nibble on and to stomp on our kind of on our walls but um yeah how do we how can we make that editing as that would be good PR. that would be a good PR. Put, put, a, put a sheep up on a mute uh, exactly it, that'd be great that'd me. be uh, We'll, we'll do it. As long yeah. as the sheep's happy, because yeah, we've got yeah, to make sure cool. my vet friends will be... Um, is the, But, yeah, I, I think this, this kind of question, really, about how we can um, edit and kind of hopefully edit less and less. But, effectively, this is optimising of resources. Um, and I think that's what we need to think of. We don't want to be on it the whole time editing. We need to be kind of... Well, learning and I love when you the AI stuff and all of that is definitely how I see we've got to we've got to embrace these tech this tech I'd love to can't wait to hear more about it can I just go back a little bit to the okay. BNG question because yeah. um, there's also the other aspect to BNG which is um, the local nature recovery strategy so that's a, a key part of delivering biodiversity net gain off-site that is fundamental to kind of the bigger picture and the sort of to ensure biodiversity if it has to be off-site is as relevant ecologically as possible yeah. um, and I, I really like that idea I mean an offset is is a necessary evil you could say or depending on the situation might be ecologically most um, most valuable so yeah. it's really much is the, the devil is again within the detail and it's all context related so um, and, and that's where I think yeah well it's interesting because in a couple of days time I'm going to Groundswell the regenerative agriculture uh, festival where they're giving an update on okay. uh, well the, yeah the nature recovery part of um, that bill okay so. yeah um, and um, and again we're waiting for secondary legislation to know the details but in London the the Greater London Authority have um, a local nature recovery strategy officer who's trying to facilitate and understand how to deliver the strategy in in London now they are the competent authority so it has to be the, the GLA that kind of oversees and steers the local nature recovery strategy, but it will be the boroughs that practically deliver it because yeah. that's how London is formed. You know, it is all based at the, at the borough level. And if you're doing your local plan, then it will go through your local plan process. But, um, but it, absolutely, there has to be a stitching process and it has to be some kind of consistency across the boroughs to make it relevant and make it, you know, not, not too manic and, and, and complicated for a developer who might be working in one borough and then might be switching to a different borough and yeah, need yeah. to be able to keep things simple, you know, from just from a point of view of just keeping, you know, yourself sane. <laughs> to, you know, like, so, so, but that for me, I think, I think if we can get the LON, L-O-N-R-S to get another acronym um, right yeah um, I think it's really inspiring and I think absolutely we need to make sure people normal people get it yeah and if we can make sure people get it then I think we're on it we're on to something important and valuable and useful but I think it's very very easy 
to just make it another map and another report that only ecologists know about. Yeah. Um, and only they know about what it means and therefore what does it mean to anyone else. We need it to be shareable and people want to be inspired and just share it with their friends. That, that's kind of where I feel that it needs to go. Um, but yeah. And I was going to say, how does urban greening factor tie in with biodiversity net gain? Yeah, it's, it's really interesting, the, the link between the two. Um, I mean, in London, I think the urban greening factor has more power than biodiversity, just because of the nature of so the urban, majority of so the So, being a country bumpkin in Cambridge, yeah. we don't have the urban greening factor. So, can you... I mean, I've heard Explain about it quite... Yeah, a little bit. It, okay. So... Um, Okay, so it's, it's essentially um, a way of trying to in, in, increase the amount of greening yeah. um, in new developments. So it's not worried about past. It doesn't, you don't need to do a, it's not like BNG in that way. Um, and it's about trying to improve the sort of multifunctionality of, of greening. So you get more points if you um, absorb water. Um, so green roofs, um, vegetated uh, surfaces at ground level, so connected to the soil, deep substrates, they all um, you know, deliver higher value in the, in the urban greening factor metric because it's all about absorbing water. So there's a, there's a very much a link between urban greening and sort of nature-based solutions and the kind of cooling of the city and the, the added value like amenity and well-being and, and people and you know, those sorts of sort of functions. So is there kind of a bit of a crossover between the environmental net gain part of... Y yeah. Sorry, I've yeah. yeah, yeah. So, oh, <laughs> wow, oh. lots of questions. Um, no, no it's, no, it's absolutely fine. Uh, yeah, so environmental net gain is basically where we will go once everyone's got BNG. Yeah, okay. um, because everyone believes to get EN environmental net gain, you have to have a base of biodiversity. Yes. Otherwise, you just don't get it. You won't. You won't understand the real importance. They also think as well that to get environmental net gain, you biodiversity underpins so much of our ecological function. I mean, we don't really understand it fully, but that's the general uh, kind of evidence to say. So, um, an ecologically rich landscape that then delivers multifunctionality for urban greening, uh, flood def flood alleviation, you know, well-being, all those, then, then adds, you know, then it kind of does more. Because, you, you know, you can create biodiverse ha habitats that might not be functional in the context. Yeah, yeah. Because, yeah. you know, yeah. uh, and, and likewise, you can create urban greening that is not biodiverse. Yeah. And it's about really, they should work hand in glove. Uh, and that's kind of what the GLA are hoping for, and that's why they created that um, that guidance in 2021, which was called um, "Urban Biodiversity Net Gain Through Ur Urban Greening Through Biodiversity Net Gain," design a design guide, basically, um, recognizing they should both be linked together. Um, so. Cool. Cool. But I, but I think I mean I think as you said the. What we are seeing is the urban greening factor is having an impact on verticality. Yeah. Um, because quite rightly, we used to stick kind of plant and kind of air equipment on the top of roofs. And now, um, yeah. now then we started sticking green roofs on um, green, well, green infrastructure on those roofs. And now actually we want to stick people on because we can now rent those roof spaces because they have the best views on it. So finally all that greenery we used to have is being kind of moved and so we kind of have this conundrum of how do we put 
um, greenery back onto buildings when kind of your roof space is now ultra is very valuable um, mm. and and kind of and, and vertical is well it offers on a cube it offers four times the the kind of area that the roof does yeah. Um, yeah. and so I think that's kind of f- for me the great opportunity um, but it, but it, it does need to be done with warnings and I think um, Dan we talked about it earlier on I, I talk about greenery and I see lots of green wall systems out there but are they all equal and I think yeah no but that's exactly that that's my take and I think we I see it as really that we need to build up that knowledge and again I think I mean we're not the right people to do it as a as a someone with a vested interest but we're keen to get um independent parties to start evaluating it and actually looking at it because everyone's talking biodiversity but I I mean and and everyone and I think we've really got to enter into a, like we have different habitats in the, and the DEFRA. Um, we're at 3.0 now? 4.0. 4.0, so I'm already a point away. Yeah. But um, that actually those have a different sort of habitats and there's no reason why living walls can't be doing that as well. And I, and I think yeah. for urban greening factor, all these things to kind of to embrace the biodiversity aspect, we, we do need to differentiate. Um, mm. Because the easiest thing is to put in non-natives very robust species that will offer some sort of habitat um, for insects. So it's, it's not not biodiverse, but actually it's not as far as you can go. And mm. I think for me, that's the kind of real opportunity. And I'm hope- so, so it's kind of following perhaps a similar path to the, the green roof industry where like, I don't know, 20 years yeah. ago, it was just seed and blanket. Exactly. And then all this, uh, and then all the research that, uh, you know, well, I see what Dusty Gedge is doing yeah. and yeah. all the stuff that um, um, Gary Grant. Grow, grow yeah. organization where, you know, it's, be- you know, we're putting logs on roofs now is becoming sort of the norm but 20 yeah. years ago. And in the same respect that, you know, putting a, lumping a hucara in, in a, in a, in its own little container on the side of a building that's going to it's going to develop isn't it it's going to and and putting fungicides and putting all those other things yeah. that go with these other uh, with some of these other living walls and i think we've really got to uh, i mean I, it, it is about i mean you, it's it's about education so people are as you say it's, it's about kind of people learning more about what they're specifying um yeah, yeah. but um and i i think i mean with biodiversity net game we, we're hopefully training up thousands of experts yeah. to kind of to hopefully inform that design process because but it, is, it is so paramount about you know and it's educating the right people because again as soon as you said about edu- you know it's an education process if you're if you're you know if you're somebody like me I, i've got an awareness of green walls green roofs and that's why i know but if you're a, a, a really busy stressed out architect you're going to go yeah, Bowder, group, you know, seed and blanket, and that's your green roof. So it's, t- it's educating the right people, I guess the, dis- the right people, the decision makers, really. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah I, I would just say we'll, everyone needs to be kind of upskilled because um, I think um, even for ecologists, you know, they've generally been uh, uh, sort of focusing on protected species for the most part yes. um, in their profession, and that's because that's where the legislation um, required them to. That's what the, the roles. That's where the work was. Yes. Um, and and botany and habitats have generally always been sort of subsidiary. Weirdly, um, unless you're you know in the countryside, you know you know 
potentially affecting a bog or a wetland or you know a species rich grassland which to be honest in London you know we don't really have a huge you know huge lot of those you know most of the habitat could be you know it's mostly gone the hops um, so but actually there's a lot of habitat still there that is of high ecological value but people aren't really looking at it and they don't know and they don't understand um, and um, and they don't have the skills um, so it's not just developers it's everybody mm. I, I would say yeah. <laughs> and from a very from a very kind of um, sort of tailored perspective so yeah the architects and the landscape architects I've got to be very careful here <laughs> um, you know it's just it's just we can edit this out Darren go, yeah. go full throttle <laughs> um, so obviously architects never had ne never um, at well the majority I think would never have done it in university yeah so there's such a huge potential to to live a biodiversity gain um, so yeah that's a that's a kind of education in it um, and landscape architects it's because again probably not had much experience in uh, in, in, in in botany either mm. or habitats or um, in plants no no the, yeah I mean plants I, so I I I am a I did a degree in landscape architecture, so I have some I can <laughs> have some idea of what it was like, um, and yeah, you, you know, people just sort of were more interested in urban design w without plants, you know, to some extent. So yeah, I mean, um, but, yeah. yeah, picking up. I mean, there's some great examples of people like I don't know if you know Ken Yang. Ken Yang is oh. kind of a, it's a Singaporean architect, and he's um, he did. I mean, actually, I heard him speak at Reba probably last year, and. He starts off what the insects are when I arrive in my building. So he's done a lot of vertical greening and greening on very tall towers. And his, his starting point was almost like an ecologist, but he's an architect. Yeah. Um, mm. And he just said, okay, this is what we want to attract. Then yeah. this is kind of the, the plant species. And he's been doing this in Singapore, which is a, yeah. it's a great example. And I, I think he's in his 80s now and talking about it. And you're like, how long is it? Why is it taking this long when the, the outliers? But he... he he has been an outlier for most of his life and now yeah. he's becoming normal, it's become seen as normal yeah. and I think that's the exciting... It's on a process led rather than product led, isn't it? It's a process it? led. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The why, start yeah. the why first <laughs> yeah. and then but then you stick the what once you've yeah. kind of gone through the... And and I think that's, to be honest, people like him are inspiring because today they're... Well, what I love is that he's now become a, it's become a normal thing. And actually, I'd still, still say he's an outlier because we're not seeing what he's doing as a, as a day-to-day architectural kind yeah. of process. Um, yeah, um, there was a, a really good article in, a, I think it was a German magazine, um, um, that's sort of talking about uh, an approach to design um, using uh, animals or wildlife as a stakeholder. Um, mm. And so, as a way of kind of making sure that you, you know, they, the, you know, the, the, the local wildlife was considered as part of the design process, which I really love actually. Mm. And it was called ha Habitexture. Um, cool. uh, if you and you can, if you Google it, you'll find it. But there's a, yeah, really lovely article where um, some architects had, had basically designed the building to accommodate, um, you know, some I don't know raccoons or something. In, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was it's a really lovely idea. Is again just a way of trying to rethink about how we address wildlife in the in the, in the locality and in uh, in the process of development, because I think the major problem is that it's always never never considered early enough. Um, and the designers, or, or perhaps it's considered again for your protected species. So we're only looking at 
bats and, and that and that's kind of red starts. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. It's it's kind of seen as an as a as a must do negative mitigation ish, uh, point. So mm. it's never seen as a like oh how can we make this the most amazing uh, process and, and add value to the development. And I think that's fundamentally the problem because it's not seen as part of the visioning of the development. Um, the work that the London Wildlife Trust do, uh, David Mooney, Peter Mancini, um, you know, the, the way that they approach design um, and designing with wildlife in the city is absolutely bang on. It's mm. about added value and, and strategic ecology. Um, and, you know, it's, it's testament to what they've achieved at Kidbrook yes. um, and at Woodbury Down and, um, and, yeah, and more other developments to come. Um, because of the way uh, that they, the, because uh, of the, the way that they design, they support the client, and that's the, and bar, they, that's the bar, bar, uh, kid brew. Is that the Barkley development? Yes. Had a tour around there with Gary Grant. It's, it's just so, isn't it? Yeah, and yeah. It, it is very much about um, supporting the design team, being a, being a critical friend to the to the client, and really delivering, you know, an exemplar development. Mm. And and you know, it's it's fabulous to see, and the stuff that you can do is is really inspiring so i think go go with what lwt do um yeah, and the, the approach that they take is, is really good yeah and no, i it's funny i you talk about um i can almost imagine this um nature recovery network being a bit like this nature reserve mm. but on a city scale that you're kind of walking around london and these are actually kind of destinations yeah. um so it becomes actually we talk, we've heard a lot about the National Park City yeah. side, but actually if these were kind of effectively route maps, so they're really, mm. they're exciting animation points for yeah. people kind of exploring nature in our cities. And yeah. so the moment, as I think you said, make it relevant to everyone and rather than just to our industry, yeah. is quite an exciting, and, and then it becomes super relevant to kind of our city, like the mayors of our cities, yeah. Even to, to central kind of government, where actually we, we've now created across all our cities these kind of nature routes for me. That's mm -hmm. what I... I love that, the way you say about destination, because Kidbrook especially is quite a dramatic landscape, isn't it? Yeah. It is, because it's, it's got, the, it's got the, the waterfall, it's got the topography, it's got that, uh, the floodplain at the back. Yeah, it is... I mean, I found it really interesting. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, Kidbrook is is lovely. Um, yeah, I like I like the, the the way that you say place because I think in terms of design um, and urban design, people it, people always talk about place. Uh, place is very important in the planning process because it's all about keeping that place and making a high quality place um, and local distinctiveness. Um, you know, and 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 you know, a characterful place because that provides. You know, it attracts people. You know, it's good for it's good for business. You know, people want to live in places that have character, um, and you know, it, it you know it, it improves the quality. You know, the, your the value of your house mm, or your business exactly. in that locality, mm. uh, and for your life well, as yeah. well in terms of <laughs> yeah. happiness. Yeah, so bringing absolutely. people, back, but bring, bringing people with you. I mean, people are gonna yeah. look you, at this bottom yeah, line. I mean, yeah, I mean, look at this place. I mean, you know, it, it it is lovely and it is good for us to be in this place. So. You know, rather than, you know, I mean, that's nice as well, but just... It's a bit nicer than together. Euston Road, though, isn't it? Oh, it's so, a lot yeah. Nicer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. I was going to, I mean, you touched on education side. I mean, the other thing is about, for me, seasonality mm. and accepting. I mean, it's quite interesting. We've got some lovely nettles behind us. Um, and actually, with those nettles, if you start distributing them around London, 
Well, people think they're valuable. They're very valuable. You can see for the for butterflies, mm -hmm. they're in flower at the moment. They're and and, I, and we've talked about what weeds are, but we these will die back. And then new things will come forward. Mm -hmm. And and winter winter in this um, park will be very different. And I think we've we've kind of lost the the connection between kind of real nature and the nature we've created in our gardens for the likes of I mean Gardeners World and I know all these programs are, are kind of are adapting towards a nature positive route but we've kind of seen as bringing bringing all these kind of colors at different time of year by going to your local garden center and buying kind of a, a, some, some more plants and yeah, actually yeah. The moment we decided actually those plants i mean we'll, we'll look at our wall later on but in winter everyone thought it was dead and then suddenly it sprang back and actually people we, we've lost that connection of of what kind of real nature and those natural cycles and i think i can and i can imagine even for architects we've where, really lost it we, we have you know, it's like, well that's everything's dead well no well no <laughs> have you not seen the have you not, have seen you not the been alive you know? exactly have you not seen the little shoots and yeah. and, and i and I won't say it's going to be easy because as an architect, you're often they're driven often by when the, the building opens and what it looks like, etc. So, depending on when that opens, it might look very different. And um, accepting change, um, and uh, and I think there's a bit of give and take. I mean, we we can't. I mean, we've worked Rosie and I worked with Nigel Dunnett on 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 kind of a, one of our early walls and. And it's interesting to see how he nicely balances this kind of ecological um, and aesthetic need. Because I think we can't ignore that public have a perception and that perception needs to shift. But in the meantime, we need to offer excitement at different points and, and make sure it does fulfill kind of multiple needs. And, yeah. and then I guess as people, we reintroduce what real nature looks like then we can probably alter the species as we go along. But it, it, there's probably a, there's a journey. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, yeah, I think there's, um, there's an understanding. I think it's, it's all about understanding. Yes. Um, because, you know, you, people have, people look at something and go, oh, you know, it's brown. Why is it brown or whatever? And, and, and maybe it's just having a little bit of a note of saying, you know, I'm brown. Yeah, <laughs> but I'm I'm actually okay, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and just kind of like you know, liven it up a bit, or, yeah, or laugh, yeah. or laugh it off. Yeah. But but you know, maybe there is that messaging again that's really needed just to help people navigate, yeah. particularly because they're newer to it. You know, nature yeah. in the city is still really weirdly like a new thing, and particularly as as you say, you know, uh, it's that garden style that everyone wants, and not the nature style. Yeah. Um, and and I think. I think um, it's really important to get that nature, you know, into places to kind of get people back into the understanding mm. the seasonality of stuff. Mm. But also the, the, the um, you know, I mean, I, I know a friend that loves it in spring when the swifts come back because for mm. her it's like, the, yeah. you know, she says it's hopeful and she, she gets the sense that, you know, everything will be okay because seasons change and things move on and, and, and life, life, does move on and change yeah. and, and you if you're struggling through some emotional problem knowing that is actually yes. really quite yeah. soothing and quite um supportive actually so maybe maybe we we are better from a health and well-being there's probably some some you know there's lots of stuff there around health and well-being and nature and seasonality that we probably need to become well certainly myself 
um, more articulate about mm. because there's a lot of a lot of good stuff there yeah. that um, does make a difference uh, from a kind of yeah health and well-being point of view. Um, so. Yeah, no, I love I love that uh, as you say. There's kind of it does. I mean, I lived in um, South Vietnam for a while, oh. and there it had two seasons, and um, yeah. and I can remember that was quite a tough tough thing to live with because they weren't radically I mean one was a rainy season one was a hot season but the sun pretty much went up and down we're close to the equator so that yeah, yeah, yeah. you didn't get this change yeah. like I was quite excited by last week it was the summer solstice mm -hmm. yeah. um, and like for me that's an important moment of the year yes. just like the winter solstice mm -hmm. is another for me it's another moment of hope for me I see the winter solstice okay we've we've got through the darkest day <laughs> and now we're kind of moving on and it's, that's what I see with our living walls and, and nature is that you've kind of winter has, has happened, spring is starting and yeah. and we're going again and this is there's an exuberance yeah. which is for me almost miraculous um, every time I look at our walls and I look at our walls in spring I'm like I'm, I'm kind of there's a bit of sense of anticipation as you kind of rummaging through as like oh and I'm constantly surprised I'm constantly wowed because that's the other thing about which is, is very different about our approach is we don't know what's going to come out where. Mm. So it's kind of an excitement. And, and every wall, we've had no wall that ever looks the same. And we couldn't, yeah. we put in a lot of seeds there and then they, whatever happens. And, um, and often it might be weather patterns, weather patterns change the outcomes. Um, they, they're not fully controlled. And I think, yeah, for me, um, if we can get and get people through that, that moment, those moments of hopes, those moments of maybe of quietness and kind of mm. pause and contemplation, um, for, for for people it's important, but also for the insects. I mean, we've had bug life looking at walls, and um, they were saying, "Oh, that's some spiders that are kind of starting to." And I know Rosie always hears we talk about spiders, but because um, I'm always quite excited when we see the spiders on our walls, because yeah, they're. They stay there for much longer, as in a lot of the bees and the, yeah. I'm not saying there isn't, but the, the, the kind of, they're, they're like a permanent fixture. Yes. So uh, I start to name some of the spiders on our walls because, yeah, it's, uh, you kind of see them again and again. So what, was, what was the name of the spider? The, Charlie was, was a good moment um, uh, on our wall. <laughs> um, so, and he became bigger and bigger. So every time the midges flew, he kind of obviously nabbed most of the midges. So, um, and, but that's, I think, getting people, I mean, I try and get my kids thinking about spiders, but getting people kind of into those insects, the moment the insects happens, the importance of them, and kind of how this is a balancing act. Yes. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I, I think, as you say, this is a, this is a, for me, it's a, it's a long game here. We're in it for the long game to change people's yeah. perception of, kind of insects that scare them, insects like this childhood um, and and also the species. I mean, it's funny, we saw some kids walk, or we might have heard them mm. earlier on and teaching them what a wildflower is, what they do, like giving them the value of all these mm. kind of, of all these plants that are growing around this park. And I think that's, that's part of the process we yes. need to do. It needs to become part of the national curriculum. Yeah. Um, wildflowers are fundamental and why they're more important than these other plants that are appearing um, and why decay um, you talk yes, about yes, yes. Um, tree trunks on roofs and all these things mm. why that decay process is important as well I, I, 
I think, um, yeah, I see it as quite an exciting moment because um, I think now we're not as much the outliers as as we were. Yes, um, And, I mean, things like this podcast is about kind of hopefully telling, teaching people more, getting mm. them excited by it. It's, it's about, you know, it's about constantly repeating the same message over and over again, mm. you know, thinking about biodiversity, thinking about species, thinking about the seasons. It's just repeat, repeat, yeah. repeat, yeah. But as Rosie said, it's making it relevant to everyone and like educating not just our field but making everyone who walks by it know kind of what's happening yeah yeah um i don't really have anything <laughs> no. to say so i think it's a it's a, a good time a good segue between here and yeah. um we'll uh, head off to yeah. king's cross yeah cool. sounds cool great stuff wicked so we've come over from camley street uh, nature park and we're now in front of the vertical meadow uh, hoarding outside the Google building in King's Cross. So this is where, this is, this is urban greening in, uh, in situ. Alistair, so do you, um, you want to describe what we're looking at yeah, now? Yeah, exactly. So this is the second year of, of this wall. So yeah. we, we started it probably almost precisely a year ago. Okay. And so the first year became quite grassy. We saw a bit of the kind of first flowering towards September time. Yep. Um, so we got kind of first poppies. We got a bit of the cornflowers and all from seed. All from seed. So yeah, what was I guess so, so no P9s. No. Nothing. No plugs. <laughs> no plugs. No plastic. Brilliant. All seeds from Emmersgate seed. Excellent. Um, and um, for us, the provenance of the seeds are kind of very important as well. So making sure that they are the best quality seeds, but also that they're local. Yeah. Um, and we worked very closely with the Wildlife Trust, with Rosie in particular, and um, Nigel Dunnett and Bug Life to kind of iterate on the, the seed mixes. But it's, it's a typical calcareous, um, or yep. a, I say typical, it's a bespoke calcareous mix that we've created. So, um, and it, it's come from the learnings from the various years and actually what appears. So as Rosie pokes around, I'm always quite excited about what, what we see. But, this started from seed, so it started from nothing. It started from a from a rug, um, yes. with, and we added water. And just like kids and, and kind of um, cress, they just started sprouting. And um, and we talked in the first podcast about the robustness of wildflowers. But yes. what that's what's great about them is that actually um, there's a bit of survival of the fittest going on in this kind of world. There's things fighting each other for space, for food, and for water. Yeah. Um, and can I give you my observation? The, the fact that you know we were talking about green uh, green walls not being made equally, but this over we, we talked about the South Hill around the corner, yeah. this overlapping competition, the sheer fact that you can poke around, it, yeah. it's a very it feels like a terrestrial meadow. You know yeah. that, that yeah, same yeah. that same sort of what would appear higgledy piggledyness yeah. of it all. Yeah. yeah, that's really nice. Well, I think you guys call it a mixed sword, and I think that's... Oh, we, love, we have to use the word sword, sword. yes. <laughs> yeah, we love that. A, it was a term I didn't know about. <laughs> As a facade engineer, it meant nothing to me in the past, but now I'm starting to use it with, um, I won't say ease, but... Um, you can drop it at dinner parties. I we drop look, it look at the dinner, yeah. Um, but yeah, I guess, I mean, what's exciting for us is the first year was very grassy. We saw the grass mm. sort of dominating, and you can kind of see the, the remnants of last year's grass still on the wall. Um, yeah. And then... This kind of second year is, is very rich in biodiversity, and that's what we're 
I get excited because we, we kind of don't. I think this that higgledy piggledyness also gives us that joy. Yes, yeah. We yeah. don't know what's going to come out, what's happening. Did we put it in there? And this is, I mean, Rosie's always like, oh, was that in the mix? Was that in the, not in the mix? Did it come from a roof nearby? Yeah, yeah. And that, and I think we talk about trying to um, put plants in the, in situ. And for me. This is great because I feel as though we're almost putting a field in situ. Yes. And we're, we're then doing a bit of an exchange with the surrounding fields. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, and I think that's for me where the joy is. It's like, oh, we haven't seen that before. And there's a seed just flying off yeah. behind your head. And that's, <laughs> that's part of it. And that's, um, yeah. for me, that it's, it's very exciting to see the second year. And I'd say this is probably our most biodiverse wall ever yeah, that we've yeah. had. Um, and, and that's partly because the grasses have gone. You see a bit of a few of the grasses. But interesting, you said so in its second year. So was it was it um, was it down to a lot of the heat stress last year that was too grassy, or, or it's more? potentially our mix as well. I mean, to be honest, we you can see there's some some vernal grass here, which is quite dominating. And what we found is, as we all know, um, we rely often on those animals that we put in our fields yeah, to yeah. kind of keep the grass down. Unfortunately, we don't have that. So we're constantly iterating our mix to kind of get the fact that I haven't got a cow or, or sheep eating that grass and then allowing the wildflowers to come through. And so that's, that's really what it is. It's, it's really about um, us sort of tuning it to its, a, a new environment. So us, and that's inclusive of uh, Donald at Emmersgate. So you'll kind of... Yep. So in terms of the grams per square meter, how does that vary between there and... So we're now, it's funny actually, we, and you'll be shocked, we, we started off our green walls at 40 grams a square meter. Okay. And everyone's like, uh, and then that was because we, I mean, and that was six years ago. Um, and slowly we've been dropping it down. So we took a leap of faith down to 20 grams and then because it's never been done before. Then is that why Emma's Gate is always sold out? It's because oh, it's of you. Because of yeah. our language, <laughs> I wish. Um, but, and then we kind of, now we're at 10 grams. And, and actually we started off with a 60-40 flower um, grass mix um, with 60 flowers, 40 grass. We've now moved to um, a 13, about 30% grass, sort of 87% flower. And that's the kind of learning because from what we observe and that's part of the excitement here is that we just learn from experts like yeah, yeah. Um, observing um, but yeah well, it's actually been really nice before you know obviously before we pressed record you're all excuse the pan but you're all cross-pollinating you're like oh look at this what's this was that in the scene mix da, 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 da. Yeah, yeah, yeah. look at that look at look how it's look how that walls you know rec uh, recovered from you yeah. know Nathan doing you know a bit of maintenance around there it's lovely exactly yeah, yeah. yeah. And it does rely on, I mean, as I think you talk, I, I, I see it as this editing kind of points that you made earlier on and how we, how we hone that. And yeah, yeah. Because it's so new. I mean, we're the only people in the world that we're aware of doing something like this. Yeah, yeah. And we kind of hope this will inspire people about the opportunities of where greening can be, but also what greening, vertical greening can be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Rosie, I mean, so, so your observations, you know, in its second year now. Yeah, yeah. Um, ah, so I've got a corn cockle there, and yeah. So what are you, what are your observations? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, I mean, really biodiverse, isn't it? I mean, look at the d different species that you can see. I yeah. mean, uh, you know, you've got red campium, oxide daisy, uh, red, you know, common poppy. Um, 
you know, let's see, Ribbrook Plantain, Ladies' Bed Straw. I mean, the, I've never seen any of these plants on a green wall anywhere in the UK. No. Oh, no, sorry, London, because yeah, yeah. that's, that's where my knowledge is really. Um, you know, Dark Moulon, something, something that's come in that, I, you know, I don't think any of us really know uh, what it is. And then, you know, a couple of, you know, sort of other things that you know wouldn't have been in the seed mix but you know again it's it they're they're coming in and that's exciting so yes. i think the difference between um the vertical meadows green wall and say perhaps um other green walls that we see sort of as normal across the city this is this is quite this is a lot more ecological straight away um yeah. because it's native um because there's a whole lot going on here so yes the native species provides so much you know pollen but we know that pollen is just only one tiny aspect of what yes. a native well our native wildlife needs so there's there's certain species like we can't we don't see it here but there's um kidney vetch that we've seen somewhere yeah. else on along the wall now that's self-seeded yeah. it might have come from the from the roof that's nearby we know that's really important for certain species of butterflies so so there's there's you know this wall could provide you know a, a year-long habitat for you know caterpillars and, and yeah. invertebrates not just pollen not just those pollinator species like bees that we know of and things like that so that from that side it's amazing um, and I think that successional that va- uh, benefit is there as well so the fact that we don't know what's here when an element of place and context and um, the place shaping the wall is really lovely so you know yeah. here you know we've got you know we have got wind coming through here so that's going to affect what plants grow we've got sun and we've got shade um, and those things are going to influence the wall and I, and I think that makes it really nice as well because we don't want a generic system we no. want the, 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 the green wall to influence place but place to influence the green wall yeah, and I think yeah, yeah. this this system allows that because we're allowing people to we're allowing that to happen as a process not just a pattern yeah, yeah, yeah and i think a lot of green walls at the moment are just literally generic patterns um that just get they just get maintained as a pattern they yeah, don't yeah. allow that process that ecological process to kind of unfold and change and adapt and, and modify and the, sheer, and the sheer fact that things are coming in and seeding where it's it's a more of a definitely a hospitable environment yeah. you're not yeah. you're not I won't point where I was going to point, but you can't. Uh, but yeah, you know, other green wall systems are—they're not very hospitable. It's in, it's the consistent stress, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, they're very. I would say they have a place, but as a garden. Yeah. 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 It's a, it's a totally. garden, whereas this is this is trying to provide an ecological habitat. And yeah. I think um, for me, when you look at gardens, things are well placed and they're often separated, etc. But you kind of look into this microcosm, and you've got your. I think this is another bed straw. There's a ladies' bed. I can't remember which no, of the bed so straws. Ladies' bed straw and then head, hedge bed straw. Oh, that's a hedge yeah. bed straw. But the fact in this kind of tiny bit, we've got anything from the, um, the um, ribwort plantains to the hoary plantains to the, the different bed straws yeah. to the leaves. I mean, the, the campions. Like this would normally be a single plant. Yeah. I was going yeah. to say, like the plants per square meter, how that would compare to literally to a terrestrial yeah. meadow and. Yeah. I don't know. Like it's, it's good. It's really good. Because I guess there, I guess there is, there's the other dimension of you know a soil, but you know soil-based meadows, as in yeah. a meadow on the ground, uh, and the vertical meadow, and how that, how I guess the availability of nutrients Im- impacts that competitiveness as well. Yeah, I mean, I think um, 
I mean, it is vertical, but it's also horizontal, isn't it? Because, you know, there's actually an element of depth here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I think we've noticed on the wall um, uh, in Tufnell Park is that, well, even here as well, you know, actually, you know, you can, you can, you can zoom in and you can see that there is a layer, um, you know, because you'll get things, oh, you know, yeah, yeah. closer in, you know, like the dead matter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you'll get smaller plants like self-heal yes, that we yeah. noticed before that would be actually lower down. So that's kind of happening at, at the horizontal level yeah. as well as the vertical. So in, in, it is different. It's novel, isn't it? It's definitely not the same as a, as a horizontal, but doesn't mean it's not valuable. But I like the way you use the word dead matter, because again, I'm thinking about, well, you know, how we perceive that and thinking about, well, you know, and again, we'll probably come onto the seasonality yeah. in a minute. Like, you know, that is still very valuable, isn't it? So in terms of- performing a service, isn't yes, it? Yes, yeah, yeah. And as you say, there's all these other seedlings that are hiding behind it, um, waiting to kind of pop out. I mean, you can see, and it's probably and it's probably holding in the moisture yeah. there. So yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah it's, it's for Friday. I mean, it, it is. I mean, in terms of complexity, it's it's a much more complex. Yeah. Um, I'd say approach than sticking a plant in a pot in a yeah, wall yeah. because because that depth is actually it's it's nurturing the dark malay that is sticking its leaf through. There's kind of there's people looking for the sun and, and 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 there's also as we said that kind of old matter which is kind of holding moisture so it's it, it's mm. kind of a it's a system yeah and yeah. it's a system it's a horticulture system it's a technical system um, and it's a, 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 a kind of a biodiversity system going on as well which kind of helps yeah to bring it all together and, and i think just just to say you know it you're you're not prescribing it you know no. you, you you've not You've not said you're going to go here and you're going to go here and we're going to keep you apart. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. we've just said this is the, this is your this is your this is your, your space. Your you decide yeah. what to do with it, and then that yeah, sort yeah. of giving that freedom and that kind of self willingness yeah. back to nature to yeah, sort of yeah. say, okay, well, this is your space. You decide. You know, if you want to sit yeah. there, that's fine. You know, we're not going to come about and take you away and, and move yeah. you over there, yeah, or, or yeah. just or just delete you entirely from the system, which is kind of what's happening, I think, from from. Typical green walls because it's more of a garden thing, and you know they have their value. It's not to say they they yeah, aren't yeah. valuable, and certainly, you know that yeah, you know, some of those situations are in deep shade or whatever. But yeah, this is this is kind of you know different, and it, it, it has that dyna dynamism which I think is very interesting from an ecological point of view, because that's exactly what we need to have in the city because it adds so much more kind of potential so then you know we get onto the subject you know this is in a in a very public place there's a billion and one people walking behind the camera <laughs> as we speak so um you know thinking about the seasonality because we're recording this on june the 27th, 27th uh you know how i mean how have you found how it evolves through the season so i say it, um i say it's been a challenge um it's been really interesting to see how it did brown off a lot during winter and we kind of typically see the peak browning as, as you would around your, for anyone who lives in the countryside, it's kind of February, March time when it's hit its coldest period and there's kind of nothing, everything has stopped growing. Um, and so what we find is it kind of grows to kind of December time, you see, a, you see a, quite a lot of colour and then quite quickly it, it browns off and we do cut back and we, we kind of, we're, we're trying to um, you say, hone that yeah, yeah. process as you would when do we cut it do we do it like a standard meadow in kind of um, august time are you sort of creating your own protocols like to think about well whenever you do a, a maintenance intervention you don't take off more than 
is that some of yeah, your kind of work? It's exactly the chat I had with Rosie earlier on. I was like, so which ones are still, which of that kind of brown matter is still adding value to yeah, biodiversity? Yeah. And that's, that should always be our questioning. It shouldn't be, does it look great or does it not? It's like, actually, what does it still add? Yeah, and if yeah, it keeps yeah. adding for biodiversity, then it should remain there. And, um, and I think for us, as you say, we are honing, we're trying to get protocols, we're, we're adapting the seed mix to kind of, um, yeah, to, to suit kind of what we're finding on, I mean, every wall is a new thing for us, it's a learning yeah, process. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, that, that, that kind of um, February point when it's quite um, brown, we had, everyone thought it was dead. I mean, and could you imagine, this is what, as the red campions, the oxide daisies, it was definitely not dead, it was in hibernation. Yeah. And this is kind of, I guess, the discussion we, we spoke at the first about having this um, dialogue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People exactly. look at it, it's very visible. Lots of people came up to me and was like, is the wall okay? And I was like, don't <laughs> don't okay. worry, don't worry, it's all okay. And it's, and, and, and don't, panic. Like, don't panic. Don't panic. It's like, fine. It's like hold it. It's, it's like don't press the button. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's all okay. Hold, so hold, hold, hold the kind of self-destruct button. It's just normal. And um, and I think that's for us is the kind of I guess um, excitement, but also challenge. Yeah, like yeah. questioning what does what does good look like? And what does good look like in winter? Is yeah, good yeah. brown and therefore kind of if we can if we convert that good. Has a has an element of dormancy, yeah, and yeah, I think yeah. I, I mean we talk about the word dead, and I don't like using the word dead because that scares people. I like yeah, using yeah. the word dormancy, all these yeah. things which have hopeful terms, hopeful terms, yeah. speak yeah, yeah, of value yeah. rather than. Um, yeah. And I think that's the um, for me the exciting kind of question and the education process. Which, I see this almost as a bit like, a, especially this one, a bit like art in a certain way. We're kind of getting yeah. people to re-question nature yeah, 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 by yeah. kind of elevating objects which or plants which might be seen as weeds, um, but they're not. And that's what we're kind of, this process of this very public place is actually questioning people about, is this, and I don't, it's a form of dandelion, but it's not a dandelion, but a kind of, um, these species which would normally just be pulled out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. It's saying actually no, this has value. Yeah. Because yeah. again, it doesn't look out. It doesn't look out of place, does it? No. You know, it's, again, it's providing that um, everything around it provides that visual integrity. You know, so it. That, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it's a system, isn't it? So every system is it has lots and lots of different species. You know, there are obviously from an ecological point of view, again, those species that have you know kind of you know magic powers. You know, they do mm. more for like yeah. certain bugs. Um, than others and and you know as an ecologist we can kind of like fav you know, have a favoritism towards them yeah, yeah you know but that favoritism is only because it's based on the knowledge that we have at the moment about what we what we know is of value uh, you know for certain species but you know there's a place for in a sense there should be a place for you know lots of different species and uh, you know it, yeah it's just sort of to become less um, snobby about it really you know, yeah. to an extent. Um, so we were we were talking uh, we were talking earlier about um, you know connectivity connectivity from one site to another. But Rosie, do you want to? I mean, well, I guess obviously you both come in. Like thinking about sort of uh, you know where this kind of system in the future fits in with that virtual connectivity. Because I've always thought, well, how can we sort of link the whole envelope can these be linked to green roofs can these be linked to you know that sitting within just above a terrestrial bed i mean where do you kind of i guess from your point of view where could you see the opportunities and 
there's, I mean, just there's loads of opportunities. And I think, um, you know, what we said earlier about the fact that, you know, the green, the, the, the vertical is kind of like the new frontier in a sense, because the green roofs are kind of quite uh, crowded spaces now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, they, they, you know we want to use them for public space. For, for for people to, to to sit and enjoy it, but also all the plant, all the you know PV photovoltaic yeah, yeah, panels yeah. and other plant for renewable energy. So actually, the vertical now is kind of the the only space available that's entirely not used. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so it has a huge potential for 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 this sort of uh, treatment. Um, and and I just think of that sort of migration, you know, physical migration of species from point A to point B. Well, you know that. Yeah, I mean, from a from a botanical point of view, you could imagine that the plants would move around and kind of, you know, uh, utilise and, and grow and, and, and move as as the conditions were suited to them. Yes. But also, we know that, the, and there are evidence that um, amphibians and reptiles also use green roofs. Yeah, so yeah. there's one in Basel, um, a green, a, well, more of a gabion style green wall was created over a railway line yeah, yeah. so that uh, reptiles could move across and up onto a green roof. Um, so, you know, these could be those sorts of kind of um, conduits for, for species to move around. Um, so that vertical connectivity, I think, is something that we haven't really considered much in London, but yet actually has has huge value. Um, so it's it's to be to be seen more of, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, to us, whether that's like one of these sultry bees or whether that's the little fly, I that's the for me. There's clearly a, a mag. I mean, I guess these plants speak for themselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They had thousands of years to kind of <laughs> make sure that they have a purpose. Um, but I also, I mean, we're on our walls, and I've talked about it. Um, we've got these sea thrifts that are growing there, and yes, and yes. I'm quite excited by this idea of, especially in London, which is a kind of maritime environment. That yeah, actually, yeah, yeah. could we turn these yeah. kind of faces of buildings into sea cliffs? And I was in Devon and Cornwall recently, and you kind of just imagine almost like a, a maritime mix that can handle extreme winds, extreme weather, yeah. and kind of on the vertical. And I've got these lovely pictures of these uh, cliff faces with yeah. sea all over it, um, yeah. and a, a host of other species. And you're like, why couldn't that be on a building? And actually yeah. everyone's like, oh, can you put green walls in high spaces? Can they yeah. go in these harsh conditions? I mean, yeah. yes. And actually, I mean, it's funny, I think we, we talk about adapting our mixes and our kind of mixes around different light conditions, but let's say a north facing mix would be a woodland yeah. mix, a kind of, let's say an east and west is maybe a more of a hedgerow mix, and yeah. a south might be kind of a, an open grassland mix, yeah. and perhaps a tall building could be a maritime cliff mix. I was going to say. Yeah. It's, it's, I think it's, I mean, I always talk about vernacular architecture and learning from kind of the past and the kind of, I guess, um, the way that we manage heat, the way we manage water, and with thick walls and all that learning that we've yeah, done yeah, yeah. over the centuries. And to us, I see as applying the learning that plants have done and applying those techniques and sticking it into the vertical. And I think that's the quite exciting thing. It's almost vernacular planting on the vertical. Yeah. And um, yeah. So, so then what makes me think is, have you thought of within the walls is having perhaps for ornament, perhaps, well, and for function as well, but like having sort of uh, solitary bees, 
uh, logs. I don't know. I mean, we're we going too far down no, that. No, no, we, we, we had a chat. We, didn't we, well, it, it came up quite early on, didn't yeah, it? Well, we, um, yeah. Um, <laughs> I thought when, it was. When, when <laughs> this, this was, a, you know, when, so just for um, context, um, when I was at London Wildlife Trust before um, my job now, it was, um, it was a collaboration then um, that we did this work together. But, um, um, but yeah, I think I think because it was just early days, and it was it was to do with the Innovate UK um, funding. We thought we'd just keep it simple in yeah, a yeah. sense, just keep it the seed mix. But yeah, I mean, there's there's all there's all opportunities for yeah. future changes of it. I mean, um, yeah, I mean, if you think of invertebrates, they like to be really close to their food source. Yes. So you could say there would be a, you know a merit to kind of put like some kind of um, you know bee habitat here, or or at least you know in, within say a if not like 20 meters or something yeah, 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 you know yeah. just so that you get that proximity and that's yes. what you see i mean in all fairness it's it's all the learning we've done on green roofs but on the vertical because that's what you do now in, ver in green green roofs we've got you know log piles you have solitary bee habitat yeah, yeah, yeah. you have nest boxes um, you have sand piles because sand is really good for solitary bee you know there's, there's all sorts of things that you can start tweaking the the, the design on depending on local context and how you want the design of the building to work. I mean, but I think you said, I think Nigel done it, and I think it was, I think we, the consensus kind of said, well, actually, shouldn't the wall be doing all the, the insect hotel kind yeah. of work? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And shouldn't we be choosing the right species to kind of provide those um, kind of spaces? And I see insect hotels as often a bit of tokenism to kind of say we're doing something for insects. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, yeah. But for me, yes, integrating them in. In a, in a wider system for me has a lot of sense but currently I'm seeing a lot of people just sticking insect yeah. hotels everywhere and like you've kind of not got the point here yeah. that's kind of a totally. and I don't want to be putting tokenism onto our walls I yeah. could maybe imagine a, a bird um, box because for birds to build a home yeah. on it um, yeah but kind of insect hotels yeah, I mean, or, or, yeah. Although, although although again there's anecdotal evidence um, in uh, in certain walls in London, where the the depths of the wall allows birds to nest, so uh, so chaffinches uh, I think have been recorded on the Fenchurch Green Wall yeah, yeah, yeah. because and it, and it might be that the the modular system with the plastic, whilst the plastic isn't so good, actually gives a depth that allows um, plants uh, sorry birds to nest. But you know when you've got something like uh, the uh, the napweed or I think some of the I mean we, we got buddleia on the yeah, yeah buddleia um, on yeah. the on the uh, tough yeah, yeah that one so you know if you had you know that self seeding element brings in plants that you wouldn't necessarily have planted you know in the first place but they again also provide opportunities that we wouldn't have ever imagined yeah. because you know essentially you're creating a three dimensional vertical habitat yeah. um, and that that will always provide quite an interesting uh, opportunity for for kind of birds that are gonna kind of look at and go yeah this is all right I'll give it a go well, you know try yeah. it out this year if it, yeah, yeah. If it works <laughs> if it works I'll come back you know yeah. so you know because there is a there is a depth and there it's, is a substance uh, to the wall so yeah, yeah it's, I think it's all about kind of yeah um, I guess thinking outside the box a bit but also you know see seeing experiencing it from Direct, uh, direct kind of results, I guess. So you say so? Okay, so that's so it's been in two years. So this is so it's a year exactly, but it's what I call our second season. Yeah, sorry, yeah. second annual season. Yes. Okay. Um, and how long will it be here for? Um, it's, it's partly down, it's partly down to the um, 
partly down to the site next door to us. So we're, I guess that's it's a collaboration between us. And, uh, so were those the squeakiest brakes ever made? <laughs> they're, they're pretty amazing brakes. Uh, well done, that was brilliant. Um, so um, he'll, he'll be back in a second. He will be, um, intentionally. So, um, but yeah, the, I mean, that's what we see. We're, we're borrowing a bit of this construction site and this is what I see as the exciting opportunities. Yeah, yeah. Um, this is a, a missed opportunity if nothing's done. So, but I, I compare that to these, uh, this stitch planting that Nigel Dunnett and James Hitchmo did around the Olympic Park, where these kind of meanwhile sort yeah. of areas where mm. they were a mixture of their seed mixes, plug planting, but it was only going to be there for what, five, five years max? Yeah. But again, they could, have, they could have said, well, no, we're not going to do anything because it's going to be bulldozed, but it was yeah. a missed opportunity, isn't it? It is a missed opportunity. We've got so much of this around our cities, and construction is often yeah. seen as uh, a blight. Yes. Um, until the final building, it's all about the final building. What will happen then? And I'm like, yeah. actually, if we can turn it into something giving back, um, and actually, yeah, I mean, and, and a lot of boroughs are starting to address this. So Westminster now require greening along their site holdings, and yeah. actually, wildflower mats is one of their kind of preferences. Um, and there's also. Um, Tower Hamlets similarly have just incorporated in their code cool. of construction. So we're starting to see some movement um, yeah. on a, I guess, on a policy level. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where, um, and, and that's for me exciting because it, it, there's no excuse now. There's no excuse for, for kind of doing nothing. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and I think we've got a, we, we know by the rest game, however flawed there is aspects of it, it's, it's, it's important to have these. Um, tools in yeah. an armory, um, however imperfect they are. I'd rather have the tool yeah, than yeah, not yeah. the tool. Um, and so for me it's great that yeah, greening is now required on these which I say it doesn't always need to be um, it doesn't need to be this system which is about wildflowers. It could be any sort of greening, but now you're offering the need and then mm. it's now about educating people on the, the differences. Yeah. So so do you have a board up here talking about no, so it's, it's something that's about to arrive. Ah. It's a bit late, um, but we're about to have a board to explain. But it's funny, I do get lots of people who are emailing me. I think because we're so unique um, offering it, they're like, well, meadow on a meadow on vertically, and then you arrive at us because we're the only people who do it. So, um, yeah. but yeah, so we don't have a board. We will be shortly, but. I love actually just watching the people. I sometimes sit on the bench when I'm waiting for people and I just watch people interact with it. It's so, in I mean, it's so interesting. Again, it's, I think because we're probably do doing the podcast here, people have come up behind and they're sort of like, what's this? Oh my, well, you know, like just, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't work this out. Uh, yeah. It's really nice though, but they get, but it's, it's becoming, uh, it's, it's, it's tactile. It is it's tactile. Just, yeah. Just like, yeah, that's lovely. And that's to see. what we want. I mean, I'm I trying to get into it. Yeah, yeah. Well. get away from all this noise. Yeah. <laughs> one, one, I mean, in the early days of the grass, cyclists would come down and just waft their hands. Oh, really? So they were oh, kind of pollinating. That's lovely. For us. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's uh, which is quite exciting. That is cool. Yeah, because yeah. I mean, you have a role, don't you? Yeah, you can, exactly. you can help pollination. But that's the interesting. Um, you know, to see how people are interacting, because I was at, um, how, how they're interacting with this system, because I was at um, John Little's open day in his garden last week, and I took some clients there, and the client started to walk through it, yeah. uh, through, through, the, uh, through the, sorry, the brownfield garden yeah. that he's got, and it was that, 
she didn't know she'd done it, but it was that oh. she felt so care she felt so at peace that she could kind of walk through it and sort of be involved with it rather than just being a yeah a picture. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. And I guess that's an element of, of how design might be changing a little bit because mm. maybe in the old days it was about formality a bit more yes. um, and, and all about kind of the view, the view and kind of perceiving things. I don't know, just, just, just garden design was maybe more about the visual. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, um, yeah. Whereas maybe now, you know, with like, you know, like um, different designers are, are more about, I don't know, the experience. I know. Yeah, yeah. I know. There's a, the prairie, the prairie um, garden down in Sussex. Yeah, yeah. You literally can walk right through these tiny gaps between these massive prairie plants. Oh, 100 And you just like go, yeah, this is fun. I like this. Yeah, yeah. yeah and you, you know, you kind of you you get a feel more of an immersive feeling. Yeah. You know? That immersive. And that connection. Yeah. It's about, I guess, in a sense, you're en enabling that connection and that texture, that that tactile and the smells and and all mm. the other things that go with it. So you know, maybe that's. Because are you doing sort of, are you getting anecdotal or sort of uh, research on people's views on this? I mean, or is it sort of... Sort of um, we're, we're very early days. We, we have, we've got some great, we've got a great quote from our earliest one, actually, with Grosvenor in, um, in Mayfair, yeah. where the person opposite, well, she says it could have been a plastic sheeting. And this was on a scaffolding where we put it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Remember the and, one. Uh, and, it, and she was like, this is a calming influence. And mm. I was like, wow, if, if we can turn a construction site into calming, into, into yeah. calming then I think... Because wow. what I'm thinking about, you remember the, all, the, all the old research um, coming out of Sheffield about you know, uh, when, they were, when they were creating the seed mixes and what people really interacted oh, yeah, yeah, with. Yeah, and it's, the tutorial meadows and Yeah, like and it was yeah. like as much as designers like to talk about foliage and all the rest of it, yeah. it's colour, 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 isn't yeah. it? And, that, and then that they got that sort of... Uh, you know, qualitative sort of data, you know, from comments that people, what, what people really liked and what made people stay in yeah. Manor Park for all those, you know, for all those number of hours. So it's, yeah. that could be the next sort of, uh, sort of frontier really, to get, well, how, I don't know, how, how it helps people's well, again, that phrase again, well -being. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I think, it, I think, I mean, so, the number of times someone stops and takes a picture, I think, could be almost like that yeah. anecdotal evidence yeah. without yeah. going into too much scientific yeah. like yeah. rigor, because you know that sometimes can just, you know, may, may not necessarily give you what you want. But people stopping and looking and 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 going, wow, that's pretty cool, taking a picture and then walking off. That yeah. I think is probably gives you something that could could help to to articulate what people might be feeling about it, because you know you notice that like. Um, in the Olympics, they did that, didn't they? People were mesmerised by the the swathes of colour and 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 the kind of impact that that colour gives. I mean, this is not necessarily going to be as wow as the Olympics, but you know, you get the light right, you get the colours right, and maybe this, maybe the red campion for that one person reminds them of childhood. Yeah, yeah. You know, and they've never seen red campion in the city before. I think you mentioned I had that. that yeah, didn't someone you? someone I've met recently, he saw one of our walls and he goes. <laughs> that, that that takes me back. Yeah, and, yeah. That, and that's what it is they, they have a sense of nostalgia. There's a great book um, by is it the RHS on wildflowers, um, and it, it's cute. But it, it talks about the stories behind each yeah, of these old wildflowers, yeah, yeah. and they do have those stories. And, um, and I think for me, that's the exciting thing. You say taking people back, taking almost to that bucolic kind of uh, childhood. Yeah, 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 yeah. And um, 
So that's kind of perhaps, you know, where, where you talk about, you know, set and setting, where, again, certain walls could uh, be really off, off place, you know, like, you know, it could be... Um, I don't know, I always think, when you said maritime, I always think yeah. about the south of, you know, yeah, you could yeah. have uh, yeah. sea cow coming out of it, I don't know. There's no reason why not. No. I mean, I, I, honestly, I guess, again, this is a field and this has its context and this could be in any of the contexts and putting any of the um, kind of, I, we, I don't think we've got to it about what could and could not grow on these walls. Um, yeah. We're kind of, uh, for us, we're really just, we're at the infancy of knowing what species and I haven't really had anything that hasn't really worked and um, it's very difficult to know because it's so dense and complex yeah it's really difficult to know uh, but yeah I mean I would imagine a South World wall should look different to a central London wall to yeah. a kind of Glasgow or and this is it's responding to also our, our kind of childhood aspects yeah. that those walls should be different because yeah, yeah. they're responding to different natural biases, I would say. Yes. Yeah, and, and in a way that's the beauty of design, isn't it? Like you can explore how place can influence the, the, the appearance of or the, the, the ecological function of a wall. Yes. So from, from a design perspective, I think that's quite exciting. If it was only going to be generic, not that great. Yeah. You know, so, you know, I mean, because ultimately, you know, these could go anywhere in yeah. the world. It doesn't... You know, so it could be a tropical wall somewhere yeah. in Singapore yeah. or yeah. Hong Kong. I thought you'd say Singapore, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. That's because I used to live there. Oh, so yeah, uh, yeah. Oh, cool. Um, but um, oh, um, but um, but yeah. At the same time, you know, in in London, you know, this this is not going to be too far away from what it used to be like, you know, 50 years ago, 100 years ago. It's funny you talk about Singapore. I'll, I'll do it on camera. But I, we've we've been looking at projects in Singapore with our cladding and. I went on the national parks, the Singapore National Parks, and looked at the wildflower, the native wildflowers for Singapore, and kind of started. And there was parts of the daisy family. There was stuff which I was like, yeah. "How does that work in the tropical climate?" Uh, yeah. And I, but it should be. I mean, that's why I thought quite exciting is building on those robust species. Um, yeah. There's no reason. Yeah. It just needs to be. Relevant. So, so is the again is the next frontier thinking about? You know, kind of, you've been working out the, you know, the, the the seed mix here. Is the next frontier working with different seed mixes, pushing, you know, pu pushing what you can grow either either way? Like, yeah. Know. So I mean, this is quite a sunny wall, um, so we've got um, we've got stuff that love the sun. Whereas I see us, as I said, holding the the hedgerow version and yeah. the forest version. So we do have um, a forest version ready to go for a very dark place. So, Basically, uh, pulling off um, what is it? It's not. Is it primrose? The what do you expect? In a, I've, I've, we've got the mix, but um, it was kind of right. it was primrose or bluebells. We didn't have bluebells. It was primrose. There was some red campions. It was kind of a mixture. Kelp parsley, maybe. Yeah, we were speaking with Emma's Gate Seeds about what they were oh, yeah. kind of recommending, but I see that as kind of um, the next learning. We kind of we know this works. Yeah, we yeah. know we get good results. Um, and then it's it's adapting to the context where sometimes you might be in the middle of the city with very little light. Yeah. So then at that point we are almost in a forest yeah. with yeah, the yeah. odd um, moments of sunlight for kind of a few minutes. So yeah, I think that, that's for me the excitement. But we would love to work with more researchers to learn more about it. For us, this is all this is all kind of very exciting. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Excellent.
Okay. Cool. Thanks. Thank you, guys. Well that done. was absolutely superb. Yeah. Thanks for doing the podcast. Yeah, no, oh, very, very it was really yeah. fun.